Oh, welcome back! <laughs> Hello, <laughs> and welcome back to the world as we know it, a history and geography podcast where you're invited to an audio tour of each of the world's 197 sovereign states. My name is Brad. My name is Kiki, and as always, we are your hosts. I'm um, sorry for uh, out a little out of practice. It's been a while, and we're continuing our uh, two-part episode on the Czech Republic. As you faithful listeners remember. Czech Republic Part 1 launched um, during Halloween week, and we're back with um, a second holiday-themed episode, a, a Christmas Czech Republic 2. Um, so, you know, you've been good listeners. You don't get cold this year. Um, Here's a, no one's asked me where we went either, so I'm not sure how much we're missed, but I'm sure that our, our faithful listeners... Uh, you didn't have to bring that up before the episode. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, sad. Sorry. Um... <laughs> Um, yeah, we, we know that you guys, like, you guys were busy, too. Oh, yeah, fall um, semester. Yeah. Difficult. We're not going to take it personally. We're just going to get into this episode and also record more episodes so that you never have to go without us again. So before we get back into it, go re-listen to part one. You yeah. You have the snapshot. You have where the history um, part it gets up to. We get into the throes of the Holy Roman Empire. Um, what we're going to do is take, take it from the top. I'm going to go through the history from then on. Um, and we'll save from some of the stuff we've been up to for the personal vignettes at the end. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Um, so since, but we're, let's 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 like our familiarity ratings on where we left off. Well, you killed that after three two months hiatus. The FR ratings. The um, FR ratings. Um, I think because like I forgot what I said first, but I'd say like yeah, I think my my Czech Republic understanding right now is a five. You were higher than me for sure. I think I was a two. Yeah, because I've been there. If oh. you all remember. I've been to Prague. Um, I went with some friends that I was studying abroad with. and uh, Oh, you backpacked through Europe. Oh, fun. I did not backpack through <laughs> Europe. I had a backpack, but uh, yeah, mostly, I guess I just heard Ryanair for places. <laughs> um, did, we did stay in a hostel. We stayed in a place called the Check-In. <laughs> that's yeah, fucking awesome. That's good. And if you're going to Prague, I definitely recommend it. Um, I would never even ask money for this advertisement for them. They served a complimentary hot dog breakfast, which I could not partake in because I'm a vegetarian. And it was, like, nicely located next to, like, a tram station to get you in the middle of town. And there's, like, a little liquor store across the street, and we got absinthe. These are before the days of Fiji water being our sugar mama slash daddy. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So. Um, um. Anyway, so so that's why I know more about (laughs) the Czech Republic, but Prague specifically. Um, I haven't been to anywhere else in the Czech Republic. I don't even know what else there is. Let's find out, Kiki. So we're going to find out. Okay, so today, um, please recall that Kiki was our glorious historical host up from Czech antiquity up until the throes of the Holy Roman Empire. We got into the split of, you know, the Czech lands being half Bohemia, half Moravia. Yeah. We got into, you know, the Habsburgs have a lot of influence, these different um, ruling families and royal ties. Um the tail end of that is where this is going to pick off. So today's outline, they have six eras, basically have the from the end of the Holy Roman Empire into modern day. So you have, um, after the HRE, you have the Austrian Empire from 1804 to 1867, then the Austria-Hungarian Empire, or the dual monarchies from 1867 to 1918. Then we get the first instance of Czechoslovakia, or the first Czechoslovak Republic, 1918, 1939. Then there's Nazi occupation during the Second World War, during the years of the Second World War. Picking back off, you have the Third Czechoslovak Republic, or Czechoslovakia, 
the return of Czechoslovakia, um, <laughs> 1945 to 1992. During that time, it's mostly an Eastern Bloc nation. And then you have the Czech Republic as it's known today from 1993 until the present day. Or it's English shorthand, Czechia. Czechia. <clears throat> Kiki loves throwing that around. Sure do. Um, all right, so let's get into it. We have the Austrian Empire, and it's a big empire, um, and it starts at 1804 because of the fall of the Holy Roman Empire, which, if we're being honest, was neither holy nor Roman, not that much of an empire, um, but we'll get into that later. So the Austrian Empire is known as the uh, Kaisertum Österreich. It was a Central European multinational great power um, from 1804 to 1867. It was created by the proclamation out of the realms of the Habsburgs. Um, uh, while it was around, it was the third most populous empire after Russia and the United Kingdom in Europe. And along with Prussia, it was one of the two major powers of this German confederation. Um, so when we get into why the Nazis had such a strong claim, they say to these areas, it's because of these, these German origins. Um, geographically, it was, it, was really it was the third largest empire in Europe. Um, and it was proclaimed in response to the first French Empire, uh, which, it, it, which in itself overlapped with the Holy Roman Empire after the HRE's dissolution in 1806. So why did the HRE disso- uh, dissolve? I almost said dissolution. Yeah, I know. It's a dissolution. Uh, <laughs> um, so there were conferences as early as uh, in Rostadt as early as like 1797 and in Regensburg in 1801, um, talking about the, uh, the decline of the Habsburgs, the empire was failing, trying to... Um, Reduce the number of ecclesiastical states from 81, just to like three of them. Reduce the number of cities. It was just, it was hard to rule and it was um, too disparate. Um, so the, and the, the Holy Roman Empire tried to replace its old constitution in like 1803. Um, this led to the imperial recess and the ultimate end of the empire. Um, and once taking, in this, this, taking this into consideration... Get the, the dust off my pipes. My yeah, own. no, we're both very <laughs> um, much out of practice. And I'm eating soup right now, at full disclosure to our listeners. So if you hear my smacking noises, <laughs> um, it's not Brad's dusty mouth. <laughs> uh, the Holy Roman Emperor at the time, Francis II, and the last one, uh, he created the title Emperor of Austria for himself and his successors to kind of get that HRE shadow. And I'll just briefly touch on the eras um, of the Austrian Empire. You have the, the, the Metternich era. He was the Minister of Foreign Affairs at the time. Um, he was highly regarded in Austrian history. This led into some revolutions of 1848 because there are still these sep- these disparate and separate um, kingdoms there, like Bohemia and Moravia. Each of them kind of had these undercurrents of nationalism and their own, their own identity. Um, and so now being under a new empire, their thoughts didn't really change. They didn't feel like they belonged to them very much. Um, then you have the Bach years, um, where I think a man named Wilhelm von Bach, he was uh, prime minister or in, in, in power. Not the composer. Not the composer. Um, and this leads to their dissolution, um, to all these different disparate players, um, and also the power of the Hungarian Empire next door. Um, they kind of decided to merge, and this leads to Austria-Hungary, which forms in 1867 to 1918. And it's quite bigger because of the joining of the Aust- the Hungarian Empire. And um, this kind of came about because Austria, the empire, was defeated in the Austro- Austro-Prussian War of 1866. And um, this dissolved that German confederation they had with Prussia, because they fought. And um, an Austro-Hungarian compromise was then adopted. Um, the Kingdom of Hungary and the Empire of Austria 
joined together to form this dual monarchy. That's another name for the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. Nice. Um, there's a frequent abbreviation at this time, the KUK. Uh, the Kuck. Yes, the Kuck. The Kaiserliche and Königliche. The um, Königliche. Uh, imperial and royal, quote-unquote. People think that refers to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, but it really originated earlier. In um, English, that's Caesarly and Kingly. Imperial and royal. You could say imperial and royal, but if we're doing a direct translation... Each is so... This is more history. <laughs> a little bit more history from your German speakers. <laughs> <laughs> How kaiserlich of me. So, um, a bit more about the uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire. Uh, also known as the dual monarchy. It was a constitutional union, so it wasn't just a marrying of families. Um, and it was actually a true um, bridging of lands... The Austrian Empire included the kingdoms and the lands represented in the Imperial Council, um, so Bohemia, Moravia, and the Kingdom of Hungary included the lands of the Crown of Saint Stephen, or uh, Transylvania. Um, and th- but the and this only lasts up until World War One starts. Um, so this kind of short-lived empire, very prominent in European history, um, and included a lot of the. F- the future troubles with like the Balkans and Bosnia Herzegovina starts around here, because the kingdoms of Croatia and Slavonia are under the Hungarian house at this time. Um, the Habsburgs are still around. It was the this is the final phase of the Habsburg monarchy, um, and within this empire, Austria and the Hungarian states were were very co-equal. Um, foreign affairs and military power came under the same like joint oversight, um, but they were still. Governmental factions were divided among their respective states. Um, so it was very multinational. It was one of the major powers of the time. It was geographically the second largest country in Europe after the Russian Empire, obviously. Um, they had a huge industry and machine machine building complex after the U.S., Germany, and the United Kingdom. They were fourth in the world. A little fun uh, fact here. They were the world's third largest manufacturer and exporter of electric home appliances. Um and also, like, power generation apparatus for power plants. Um, it's kind of interesting. Um, they had lots of influence. Um, after, and this leads into the, fir- the First World War, after 1878, a Bosnia and Herzegovina was under the control of the Austro-Hungarian military and was fully in- annexed in 1908. And this provoked, like, a Bosnian crisis. Um, and they were, they were also at the junction of, like, the Ottoman Empire, uh, which, which was, up until that point, as far north as Montenegro and Serbia. Let's do our Montenegro episode for that. Hey. Um, it was under de facto uh, joint occupation during this time um, because Austro-Hungarian army had withdrew um, into Bosnia. Um, this is also why um, Bosnia has such a high Islamic and Muslim population as their official state religion, a sti- official state religion because of these ties going far back as this. Ah, cool. And um, it's also... Or the, the preludes to war born out of these divisions in the Balkans. Um, as we all know, on June the 28th, 1914, Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated in the Bosnian capital of Sarajevo. <laughs> Sarajevo? Sarajevo. Sarajevo. Um, Not Sarajevo, just Sarajevo. It's the J is like a Y. Sarajevo. Um, <laughs> <a group laughs> or you can be a dick about it, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> a group of six assassins from the nationalist group Mlada Bosna. Um, they were supplied by the Black Hand. They were not the Black Hand. Here's a fun story about the Black Hand. So I first uh, learned about that in middle school, and many mm-hmm. of us did learn about the beginning of World War One. 
Um, and I always got it confused with the Dark Hand, which is the villain group in Jackie Chan Adventures. <laughs> magic <laughs> must defeat magic, Yugi. <laughs> you need the talismans. <laughs> must I feel research. like I've mentioned, I think I've mentioned Jackie Chan Adventures before on this podcast. You haven't on air beforehand when I've <laughs> okay. talked about it. I um, just really like it. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> So, we know the story, they, um, this group of assassins visited the motorcade, they were passing by, um, one guy threw a grenade, missed it. Um, another person, uh, tried to storm the car, was stopped by the crowd. Um, they actually gave up and, like, went to a cafe, and, um, Franz Ferdinand happened to visit that cafe later, and one of the dudes, Gavrilo Princep, just pulled out a pistol and shot him and his wife. That really sucks. Um, here's a weird thing, though. This, because of the alliances, escalates into the into war. But um, and that day or the next day, the reaction among the Austrian people was very mild. They didn't really care. Uh, one historian writes that the the event almost failed to make any impression whatsoever. On uh, su- on the following Sunday and Monday, the crowds in Vienna listened to the music and drank wine as if nothing had happened. So this assassination just seemed like nothing at first. Yeah. And the powder keg had to kind of escalate into war. And so, the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand eventually leads to World War I. Um, Austria-Hungary was one of the central powers in World War I, um, and it formally declared war on the Kingdom of Serbia in 1914, <laughs> July 28th. Um, and by, the, by war's end in November of 1918, it was effectively dissolved when the military authorities therein signed the armistice, armistice of Vila Giusti. Yeah. Um, so the kingdom of Hungary looks like Villa Juicy, like Villa, Juicy House. Villa Juicy, the kingdom of Hungary and the First Austrian Republic, um, they were treated as successors after the war. Um, whereas the independence of the West Slavs and the South Slavs of the Empire um, kind of led to the formation of the First Czechoslovak Republic, which we're going to get to, um, as well as the Second Polish Republic and the kingdom of Yugoslavia. So it was split up a lot. Um, also, most of the territorial demands of the Kingdom of Romania were recognized by the victorious powers in 1920, at least Romania's formation. But that's a different show. We'll get there one day. And yeah, that's our next podcast. Um, so after this, we have the first Czechoslovak Republic, or Czechoslovakia, Yay, 1918 right to 1939. Czech Republic history. I mean, it's all been Czech Republic history. What? But now we're back it's in the not a republic yet. It's Czechoslovakia. We'll get there, Kiki. I'm just saying that this episode's about the Czech Republic, and now we're talking about their history again, and not the things that caught. It's fine. Just talk about the history, Brad. <laughs> Czechoslovakia was made up of the kingdoms of Bohemia, Moravia, Slesia, Slovakia, and Austria. What's Slesia? The thing I can't pronounce, and I'm going to gloss over. All, All right. right. Um, so the origins of this first Czechoslovak Republic. <laughs> to, to the great joy of Kiki, emerged after the collapse of the Austro-Hungarian Empire in October 1918. Um, the new state consisted mostly of territories inhabited by the Czechs and the Slovaks. Oh, wow. Um, what a coincidence. But it has a combination of you know, historical, strategic, blah, blah, blah reasons. Um, it had a majority populations of lots of other nationalities. There's a lot of diversity religiously, ethnically, linguistically in the Czech Republic today because of these things back then. Okay, so following the Pittsburgh Agreement of May 1918, why they go to Pittsburgh? I don't know. The Czechoslovak Declaration... More like Schittsburg. Got Just em. kidding. This, that's for Kyle. Um, um, my roommate Hannah's boyfriend is from The Keystone Pittsburgh, State. The Keystone State. Um, I just had to say it because there are two of the eight listeners of this podcast. So. <laughs> Got him. And the viewership dwindles. Okay, the Czechoslovak... <laughs> right, no, not a seven. <laughs> um... 
So the Czechoslovaks declared independence um, at this, for, as part of this agreement. Um, it was signed by um, three important people, the third of which is very, very important for future history. They were uh, Mazarik, Stefanich, and Bienes, or Bienes. I think that when it has a little half a cone over the S, it's a zh sound. So Benej? I think it's Benej. Okay, so Benej is very important. It's glad I can pronounce his name now. We'll get to him. Um, this declaration, it's called a Pittsburgh. Okay, it was signed in Paris. It was Then it was proclaimed in Prague. Okay, it's all over the world. Anyway, the end of the First World War brought about the collapse of the empire. Um, and, you know, after the, we had this kind of this world where the League of Nations, it's supposed to be the heralding of a new age. We have the creation of democracy here. Thought to be a triumph. However, we get to the structure itself, and um, Benesh, um, Benesh, he heard himself as like a democratic statesman of this of a Western kind of nation. Um, he relied on the League of Nations a lot um, as a kind of a guarantor of post-war status quo, and he was hoping hoping for them to ensure the security of this newly formed state. He negotiated the Little Entente, an alliance with Yugoslavia and Romania you know, already bedfellows from the, the foregone empire. Um, and in 1921, they tried, they tried to counter Hungarian uh, uh, revolution and the restoration of the Habsburgs. They were kind of turning their back on the past at this point. Um, the leaders of Czechoslovakia needed to find solutions for this multiplicity of cultures living within their one country. So from 1928 to 1940, Czechoslovakia was divided into four separate lands. The Czech lands are the Zemesh, the Slovak lands are the Krajini, uh, Bohemia, Moravia, Silesia, Silesia um, and then Slovakia in Carpathian Runia. Carpathian Runia is a part of Ukraine today. Although in 1927... Uh, you mean Carpathian Ruthenia? Ruthenia? Ooh, nice. I like that. Um, okay. They all had assemblies, but they had limited jurisdiction. We're kind of going to cross over the technicalities here. Um, national minorities were issued special protections, um, especially in districts where they constituted 20% of the population. Minority groups had full freedom to use their language, um, to use their vernacular in schools, stuff like that, and in matters dealing with authorities. Um, German parties began to participate in the government started in 1926, um, while Hungarian parties uh, never really joined the government. Never really joined the government. All right, so then we get scary things like the shadows of nationalism. Ooh. Um, so due to Czechoslovakia's centralized political structure, nationalism arose in the non-Czech nationalities. Several parties and movements were formed um, with the aim of broader political autonomy. Um, one example of which is the Slovak People's Party, uh, led by Andrzej Klinka. I think it's just Andre. I think when we see a J in looking at the Sl Slovakian languages, it's going to be a yes yeah sound most of the time. Where the heck is the linguist armchair when you need it? <laughs> I know. I just texted no, the linguist no, armchair no, to see if I was no, right no. about the breve, which is that little half a squiggly above the S. Um, because breve means brief. So I'm wondering if it means like you're supposed to like take off the letter. So it's like milish or, um, you know, but I, from what I know from 90 Day Fiance, Kiki. when there is a J in, no. in the name from, a, from an Eastern European country, it makes a yes sound. There is now a moratorium on 90 Day Fiance and Jane the Virgin references. We're done. Um, no, because Petra is from the Czech Republic, so there's no way I can go without talking about it. No also, our linguist armchair says it makes a sh sound, so I was right. I did pick up something when I went home for Thanksgiving. Okay, well, in that vein, shh. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, you put a breve over the S right now and shh. Got him. Um, so, um, 
a little-known German dictator came to power in 1933 named Adolf Hitler. Um, oh, him. <laughs> within the Czech Republic, there was fear of German aggression, and it became widespread in Eastern and Central Europe. Um, in Benej, or Benej, ignored the possibility of a stronger Central European alliance system because he was so ingrained in this Western policy, League of Nations mentality. He did, however, seek the participation of the Soviet Union, Rutro, in an alliance to include France. Um, he earlier had warned against the Soviet regime because we're democratic now, and in Czechoslovakia we are not looking to become communist. That'll change later. Yeah. So in 1935, the Soviet Union signed treaties with France, Czechoslovakia. Little alliance here. Um, however, the treaties said that the Soviet Union would come to Czechoslovakia's aid if and only if French assistance came first. So we're counting on the French here oh, against, that seems like a bad against Hitler. So we know how that turns out. Um, and Hitler himself remarked to his foreign minister, von <coughs> Neuroth, um, and top other military officials in 1937, that he intended all along to absorb Bohemia and Austria um, with a vague sentence about the need to expel the, the Czechs therein um, and the elimination of that Czech nation. So this leads to Nazi occupation, which is centered around this idea of like the Sudetenland or like um, German lands that belong to German nationalities. Um, and that, um, for those you may know, like, Southern German culture, like, when we think about, what am I thinking? Bavaria, Baden-Württemberg. Yeah, Bavaria, Baden-Württemberg. So when people were, like, dirndls and stuff like that, that is shared by in Bohemian culture, which is why, um, you know, when you watch the producers, he's seeing something like the Bohemian... Never mind. Yeah. We'll take that out. But anyway, so that's, like, one of those reasons why Hitler was like, hey, this is, like, a shared culture, and the ethnic Czech nation is ruining that for us. We want to make that more like the rest of Southern Germany or Süddeutschland, which is like the Süddeutschland. And on the map here of not the territories that were occupied by the Nazis, you have the borders with Bavaria and Saxony. Those borders into Czechoslovakia were the ones occupied, as well as this other area between Bohemia and Moravia. So the non-Czech parts. Um, okay. I was just trying to share in case you needed a visual there. Um, so there was a large German minority in Czechoslovakia, mostly living in the Sudetenland. They demanded autonomy within Czechoslovakia um, as part of this nationalist movement in Europe, um, but they were oppressed by the Czechoslovakian government. The political vehicle for this agitation was the newly founded Sudeten German Party, the Sudeten Deutsche Partei, the SDP. God, they love their something-something DPs. Um, they really do. Led by Konrad Hinlein. Um, and it was financed with Nazi money. So they were, like, they sent over the political angst before they really militarily engaged. Um, and the SDP had surprise success in the 1935 elections, and they got a lot of the vote of the Sudeten Germans. This worsened diplomatic relations between Germany and Czechoslovakia. Um, Hitler met with Hinlein in Berlin in 1938, and um, tell him to go, go proffer for our future nation building. Um, the... There was different programs to kind of, kind of demand autonomy, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Then, um, relying on the convention for the definition of aggression, uh, Czechoslova Czechoslovak president Edvard Benes, Benes <laughs> I say it twice every time, yeah, and the government fine. in exile later regarded September 17th, 1935, the beginning of this pre-World War II undeclared German-Czechoslovak war. Um, this has also been assumed by the Czech Constitutional Court today. So there was a small, there was a war where they invaded, 
Um, this leads to the German occupation of Czechoslovakia from 1938 to 1945. German, Germany annexed uh, the border regions known as the Sudetenland. Blah, 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 blah. you got to do some tongue exercises. Under terms outlined by the Munich Agreement. But heard a lot about this in World War II history, so I'm kind of glossing over the machinations of it. Okay, so following the Anschluss of Austria to Nazi Germany... That was in March 1938. Um, Hitler then, con- uh, then uh, led the conquest of Czechoslovakia. Um, do, 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 do. Okay, so basically they just they start occupying it. Um, and this doesn't end until Germany's surrender at the end of World War II. Um, as far as the actual name of it, Hitler proclaimed um, kind of these territories the, uh, the protectorates of Bohemia and Moravia. Um, I'm not going to get into the war itself. That's really complicated. This isn't a World War II podcast, but there are many that you can listen to that I would recommend that would go further into it. Um, yeah, so the territory was the protectorates of Bohemia and Moravia during the war. Um, there was a, 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 recently, a newly declared Slovak state that tried to remain independent, and that Carpathian region became known as Carpathian Ukraine. Um, Hungarian forces were the ones who tried to take control of Carpathian Ukraine, as well as um, some country, some areas were annexed by Poland and Hungary in 1938. Um, let's see, there was um, lots and lots of resistance um, organized by the government exile, Benesh and a guy called Morovec, um, who was head of the Czechoslovak military intelligence. Um, they had an operation called Operation Anthropoid, where they assassinated um, Heinrich Himmler's deputy, um, who was over? Who was in control of Bohemia and Moravia at the time? Um, this infuriated Hitler, and he like randomly executed and arrested like ten thousand randomly selected Czechs, um, which rude. which doesn't lead to a lot of um, civil um, obedience or happiness. Yeah, um, I would imagine that it would lead to very much the opposite of yeah. civil disobedience and unhappiness. Yeah, there was lots of Nazi reprisals after this, um, so terrible things happened. Lots of war crimes. Um, okay, so liberation happens in. Uh, 1944 in May, when Benesh, where Benesh signs an agreement with the Soviet leaders, um, stipulating that the Czechoslovak territory liberated by the Soviet armies would go back to the control of the Czechoslovak civilians. Um, and it was the Red Army that mostly liberated Czechoslovakia. Only a small part was in southwest Bohemia was liberated by the Allied troops. Um, so we have this connection to the Soviets through their liberation from the Nazis. And this really hits into our third Czechoslovak Republic, which is only short-lived from 1945 to 1948, which is the pre-Soviet era of the Czechoslovak Republic. And I'll have one slide on this. Um, basically, it was a, the third Czechoslovak Republic, or Czechoslovakia III, Electric Boogaloo, uh, emerged as a sovereign state. Um, <laughs> what a funny joke. It was, wow, okay. Um, <laughs> The sovereign state, kind of a la like post-war Berlin, uh, the policies of the Western Allies, uh, the French Fourth Republic, the United Kingdom, United States, and also the Russians, they kind of collaborated together um, to create a new Czechoslovak Republic. Um, uh, it was after this, I mean, short-lived kind of coalition, um, it became under the sphere of influence of the Soviets. Um, so there was at first a coalition of Edvard Benesh and the Communist Party of Czechoslovakia, or the KSC with a little hat, 
Um, <laughs> and they kind of coalesced to make um, this government happen. Um, however, in 1948, the Communist Party of Czechoslovakia seized full power in a coup d'etat. Um, the country's official name remained the Czechoslovak Republic until 1960, when it then became changed to the Czechoslovak Socialist Republic. Um, but, you know, the democratic short-lived coalition of the Third Republic ended in 1948. Okay, so then we get to the main precursor of the Czech Republic, which is the Czechoslovak Socialist Republic, 1948 to 1992, solidly part of the Eastern Bloc. Um, there was a new constitution after the support of the Soviets, um, and the traditional name of the Czechoslovak Republic was changed in 1960. Following the adoption of the new constitution of Czechoslovakia, Hitler is like a final victory for socialism. And that remained up until the Velvet Revolution um, in the 90s. Um, and then I have a small etymology here because the name changes so much. So the name Czech itself is derived from the Czech um, indim or dimonym um, Cheshi. It's from Polish. Um, it has some, some archaic origins of some Western Slavic tribes. Um, and uh, and the, the name Slovak was taken from the Slavic Slavs. The origin of the word Slav itself remains uncertain. Um, so this is the kind of the, the putting together of two traditional terms for this new country. Um, and during the state's existence, it was simply referred to as Czechoslovakia, sometimes the CSSR or CSR. All right, so within Czechoslovakia, um, you have kind of the same things that are usually of, um, part of an Eastern Bloc country. You have an absence of democracy. You have a competitiveness with Western Eastern European nation with Western European nations and the U.S. as part of the Cold War. Um, we have a Prague Spring in the late '60s, but that's which was, was a, a blip and outlier. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. Um, so the inequities between the Czech part of the country and the Slovak halves of the country uh, those were largely eliminated as far as like the socialism kind of uh, um, formation would relate to um, a lot of no, a number of ministries like education um, they were transferred to the two republics but they were still centralized by a political control by this communist party um, however in the 1970s there were dissident movements in Czechoslovakia um, they wanted greater, greater political participation they wanted more uh, expression they wanted limits on work activities um, there's a lot of like forced professional employment um, propagandists Stuff that you associate with the USSR, um, police harassment, people who are, dis who are labeled dissidents. Um, but it becomes democratic again in the late 1890s following Soviet collapse and the Velvet Revolution. So let's talk about the Velvet Revolution. Let's do. Okay. So the Velvet Revolution is. Wow. Enthusiasm for the audience. Okay. Um, the Czech Republic, as we know it today, starts in 1992 following the revolution or the Velvet Revolution. So. In Czech, it's known as the Sematova Revolution, or the Gentle Revolution, uh, and it was a non-violent transfer of, transition of power in what was then Czechoslovakia, occurring from 1989 December, I mean November <laughs> to December of that year, so kind of short. About a month. About a month. Like a month and a half. One month. Um, popular demonstrations against the one-party government of the time, which was the, that Communist Party, it was combined younger students and also older dissidents. Um, the result was the end of 90, uh, 41 years of one-party rule 
and the dismantling of this planned economy that had a lot of detractors. So on November 17th, 1989, which is International that Students is Day. two days after my older brother Joe's birthday. He was born on November 15th, 1989. That's awesome. Just so everybody knows. The Velvet Brother. Um, on this date, riot police suppressed a student demonstration in Prague. That day was also the 50th anniversary of violently suppressed demonstrations against Nazi occupation. So bad move on their part, being compared to Nazis by cracking down on student demonstrations. Yikes. Not and, a good look. No. And this November event also sparked a series of demonstrations um, throughout the entirety of the Velvet Revolution. Um, the biggest one was one that was assembled in Prague, which grew from 200,000 on one day to an estimated half a million the next day. Um... The whole entire top leadership of the Communist Party, including then General Secretary Milos, that's Milos, Milos Yakesh, uh, resigned in November. Um, those who watch Jane the Virgin will know it's Milos, because that's the name of Petra's ex-boyfriend. Those who watch Jane the Virgin have a lot to account for. Um, um, following the Velvet Revolution in, the 19, in 1990, there was the first democratic election since 1946, and um, and because of this new kind of democratic elections, the people rep, uh, identified that they did were they were separate entities. And so, in 1993, in January, Czechoslovakia split into two countries: the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Hey. Nice. All right. Can't wait till our Slovakia episode because we'll just copy uh, the past all, the past 25 minutes. Yep. And then <laughs> go on from there. <laughs> Record scratch. <laughs> um, okay. Anecdote corner. My second favorite segment. Um, here's a cool anecdote from the Revolution. So one element of the demonstrations was the jingling of keys to signify support. The practice had a double meaning. It symbolized the unlocking of doors and was the demonstrator's way of telling the communists, goodbye, time to go home. <laughs> Bye, bitch. Get your keys. Bye, bitch, they said. Exactly that, in that tone. Um, and then a commemorative two euro coin. I, I love a two euro coin. It's perfect. Yeah, me too. Um, Why was... can't we have two? Like, I guess we did have two dollar bills, and America ruined it. Wake up, America. Wake up, sheeple. So this commemorative coin was issued by Slovakia in November of 2009 to mark the 20th anniversary of these keys being jingle jangled. And the coin depicts a bell with a key as the clapper. And um, The clapper was another of my nicknames. And a famous uh, science fiction writer, Ursula Gwynn. Uh, she wrote a short story called Unlocking the Air, in which the jingling of keys played a central role in the liberation of a fictional country called Orsinia. That's so if, nice. you, if, you ever, if you ever fucks with the Gwen, you know that now she's alluding to the Velvet Revolution. I think Revolution. Le Gwen just died because I think she, she, George R. R. Martin talked about it on his Twitter. Yeah. I mean, she's got some of the best foundational science fiction stories. Well, that's very cool. Thanks, Urs. In for, heaven or wherever for, you go. For the Gwen. Okay. Um... <laughs> So this leads into modernity. I gotta laugh finally. Okay, um, <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> from 1991, uh, the Czech Republic, uh, originally part of Czechoslovakia, and then its own entities in 1993, um, it's been a member of the Visegrad Group, which I'll explain in a minute. Um, it also joined NATO in 1999, the European Union on in May 2004, and in December 2007 they joined the Schengen area. So all up in that European stuff. Um, and then a little bit of on side on politics until 2007 or 2017 rather um, the whole of Czech Republic politics has been either the social democratic side their party or the liberal conservative side that party and they've 
kind of handed off the government to each other, coalition style, up until recently. Um, and I, we mentioned the Visegrad group, or the Visegrad 4, which not a, was not, not a cool name for a group of grad students, though I wish it was. The V4 is a cultural and political yeah. alliance. How do we turn that into the Visegrads? That's the next trivia team name. For sure. Um, we'll get in that personal anecdote. Okay. Um, okay. Fucking trivia. Okay. The V4 is a cultural and political alliance of four Central European states, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Poland, and Slovakia. Um, they're all members of the EU and NATO, and they work together within this, within this V4 group to advance military, cultural, economic, energy cooperation, um, as well as to stay in the EU together through um, what I assume are like PACs of some sort. And the group traces its origins to the summit meetings of the leaders of Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Poland, um, that were held in the Hungarian castle town of Visegrad in 1991. It was chosen as the location for this meeting as an intentional allusion to the medieval congress of Visegrad in, thir in 1335 between John I of Bohemia, Charles I of Hungary, and Casimir III of Poland. Oh. Casimir III sounds like a badass. Yeah, I was like, my boy Kaz. <laughs> my boy Cash. Um... So yeah, so they're, they have this duality as both a Central European nation ingrained in the Western kind of formations of the EU. They also have some Central European identity within this Visigai group and an Eastern European history as part of a former Eastern Bloc country. So that that's modern Czech Republic. A lot of history, a lot of divisions. You can refer back to our snapshot talking about where they are today. But we're going to take a quick break. Yeah, grab we some it. water. We're gonna get back, and we're gonna hit take a quick trip to the flag corner. We sure are. Um, it's my favorite segment. So we'll see you then. Welcome to the flag corner, my favorite segment. The Czech flag is, so it, it have big blue triangle in it. Horizontal bands, too. And two horizontal bands. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, so if, you're, if you haven't seen it and you have no way of uh, looking it up, it is a blue triangle that like aligns to where the flagpole would be. What kind of equilateral triangle, I would say. And then... The top half is a white. What shape is that? Well, technically, it's a trapezoid. It's a but, trapezoid, but, but it has it has two parallel two parallel lines, and then two other lines running at a diagonal, and then to the end of the flag. Anyway, what color is it? They're, they're white and red, and white's on the top and red's on the bottom. What's that mean, though? Um, I didn't really because like it's a simple flag, but I never imagined how hard it would be to describe. Um, if you a don't know what shapes are called, and and b how to paint a picture, um, but yeah, it's it's red, white, and blue. It's based on the traditional colors of the Czech lands, um, which originate on their 1192 coat of arms, which features a rampart lion, which means a lion holding something up, mm -hmm. uh, with a double silver tail on a field of red. Um, so this flag was, the flag was established in 1918 and adopted uh, in 1920 originally uh, because before it was using the Bohemian flag, which looks exactly like the Polish flag. Uh, but they picked this guy uh, and then 
kept it, then the Germans were like, fuck, no, you can't have that flag. You'll have whatever flag we fucking tell you to have. Um, but they still kept on, they kept their flags, you know, in their hearts, not on their flagpoles. And then Czechoslovakia, thank you. <laughs> Czechoslovakia kept the flag after the Germans left. And then when the Czech- Czechoslovakia split into the Czech Republic and Slovakia, um, the Slovaks got their own flag. They made their own and the Czechs kept this boy. So yeah, I guess that's a flag corner. Um, look it up. It's good. It's a nice, a nice simple one. It's red, white, and blue. So if you feel like a, an American or a person in the UK, an Australian, or any of those Commonwealth countries, yeah, a French person, a Norwegian yeah, person, person, Russian, if you're half Netherlands, of the world, um, Panama, you get, yeah. So you've got a good chance of finding a federated a, Micronesia. Yep. All right, so that's the flag corner. Thanks for visiting with me. Let's uh, let's talk about the Czech Republic. So here's a thing that happened in the Czech Republic. Tell me. So there was a young Russian woman named Alexandra, and she was dancing in clubs in Prague when she met a Mormon missionary named Josh, and then they went on 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> this is where Brad leaves the podcast never to return. <laughs> Um, I was hoping how long I could get that before dropping what needed to be said. No, you started it with a huge grin on your face, so I know it wasn't historical or cool. I think they did make history, uh, but he took her back to something like Rexburg, Idaho, and then like in like their giant Mormon community, and she's like, I'm Mormon now, but I was like living in Prague, and I was a dancer, and I was having a ton of fun and drinking, and there's nothing to do here. And then Josh was like, that's about right, but I think we need to get married anyway. So they got married. Um, she had a lot of doubts. I suspect, because they had a baby, and the baby looks very mixed race. Josh is definitely a white guy, and I think he might be gay. I think Alexandra was pregnant in the Czech Republic, and I think Josh is like, you know what? I am gay. I think I should marry this beautiful Russian woman, get her to America. She'll have a nice time. She wants to be Mormon anyway. Then she can have her baby in America. We can have a sham marriage and I'll raise the baby as my own because she definitely is pregnant in the 90 days. Like you can see you're getting fatter. They just don't acknowledge it. That's what I think about Alexandra and Josh. Some other facts about the Czech Republic include that they're the number one drinkers of beer in yep, the world. Yeah, it's a beer capital <laughs> of the world. Um, what else, Kiki, is interesting about the Republic itself <laughs> and not the colorful cast of I'm just people? Saying, I'm just saying their story started in Prague. Uh, very highest standard of living of any former uh, Soviet bloc countries. Nice. Um, so yeah, if you're a, in a former Soviet bloc country, go ahead and live in the Czech Republic. Do it. Uh, <clears throat> trying to think, uh, castle capital. They've got a ton of fucking castles. There's a lot of famous Czech people. A lot of famous Czech people. Um, I think my favorite is Gregor Bedell. Founder of genetics, or father of genetics, I think they call him. <laughs> genetics did not exist before him. Everyone butted asexually like sponges, and then he came along. And, and he's like, hey, you know what these peas do? <laughs> I'm going to show you what these motherfucking peas are like. Um, uh, as you mentioned in episode one. Sigmund Freud, Czech yeah. boy. Um, imagine in, in episode one, Milo Schwarman, the director of our mutual favorite movie, Amadeus. And One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. I don't care about that as much, but... yeah. Uh, and then... Oscar Schindler. Oh, Ivana Trump, the mother of Ivanka Trump and the first wife of Donald Trump, the current president of the United States. Franz Kafka. Uh, Antonin Dvorak saw his grave in that grave that I talked about in episode one. Yeah, Antonin... Oh, yeah, Dvorak. Yeah, yeah, great our, symphonies. Our yeah. good boy. 
Yeah. And Kafka. Good King Venceslaus himself. Um. So there's a lot of... He was not a good King Venceslaus. That preceded. <laughs> I caught that. You didn't think I would. <laughs> you bastard. Um. So yeah, I guess... Uh, yeah, I think uh, those are the cool things. There's definitely a lot of other cool things that we could talk about. Um, but... I kind of want to talk about us and like what we've been doing a little more. Yeah, so we've devoted a lot of time to, to check the public. So yeah. let's get into what we've been doing in our absence and looking forward. So it has been two months. And I'm just real sorry. Grad school, hard. Yeah, um, it was tiring. Fall semester yeah. was the hardest one, probably. Yeah. Grad school is going to be. So yeah, it was like, cause like we're both three quarters of the way through now. Uh, and this semester was, was really difficult. So it was basically from midterms through finals, constant work. Um, but we did find like some time to like hang out. We went, we started going to bar trivia. Regularly. Regularly. We and now we're like regularly. Place. Yeah. We have a normal place that we go now. It's just, it's a new place that just opens. So it's like, we're not jumping into a already formed dynamic between teams. Like we're part of it. No. We're a, we're a founding member. So what are some of our great team names, Brad? Um, we had some great team names. One was holiday-inspired and snark-derived called Hard Again for Cardigans. Yeah, it was great. Um, one was of Napole- of, um, of Napo- Kiki's. It was, it, was, it was mine. <laughs> what was it, Kiki? It was Napoleon Bonarfart. <laughs> That's pretty hilarious. Um, what was the most recent one? I was... The most recent one was kind of like I was... I just threw it out because Brad wasn't there for the beginning. We were all um, under the influence of both alcohol and the Green Dragon and coming off of a Lord of the Rings marathon. Nice. Um, But anyway, so ours, it was, you miss 100% of the shots, you don't take, quote, Wayne Gretzky, quote, quote, Michael Scott. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like a stylized one, and we thought it'd be funny to make the host say it, that's all. But he didn't get it. He Uh, didn't get it. He really biffed it. Um, uh, but anyway, our Lord of the Rings marathon, it was Brad, me, my roommate Hannah, her boyfriend Kyle for like one of the movies, and then some like people who had, I'd say, not real interest Some in non-committals. It. Some non-committals who would come in and out. But we watched all the extended versions. In the same day. In the same day. From 9 a.m. until 2 a.m. the next day. Plus some breaks for yeah, our yeah, trivia. Yeah, breaks tri- for trivia and ice cream. Yeah. But honestly, it was like... Because you texted me after, and I was like, it was just such a good day, keep thinking about it or whatever. And I kept, like, thinking, I told Hannah, too, like, if I had told anybody what my last day on Earth would be like, if I could plan my last day if I knew I was dying, it would have looked very similar. Single tear falls. Yeah, single tear falls. And Kiki made me seem like a normal person when I said, I texted her, and I said I had a great time. No, I texted her, I had weird (laughs) dreams last night that I was Faramir. Like... (laughs) No, it was not like I had a great time. It was like I can't fuck with something about Lord of the Rings. That's what it was. <laughs> anyway, um, but that was like it was just a very nice day. It's a how we finished finals, and it was that was great. like right after a cookie oh. party at my place. We just decorated cookies. Brad and I hung out a little too much last week, I think. Well, we were sowing back the seeds of our companionship before the podcast. We'd get a rapport back on yeah. online. So yeah, it would be less like oh, uh, what's happening with the world. Uh, it was it was more like that. Um, <clears throat> Try to think. I finished my semester with three A's and a B plus. Wait, you have final grades? You don't have final grades for PPE yet. I don't, but I can calculate it. It's not going to be anything but a B plus at this point. Nice, nice. Um, <laughs> I did get. I got some good Which feedback. Which is good. That's a great grad school grade. Yeah, I'm happy with it. 
I've begun my job search. Um, I'm not sure when the last time we recorded was, but I met Bernie Sanders. Yeah, that happened. That happened. Um, <laughs> I turned 26. That was horrible. <laughs> my yep. mom visited. Thanksgiving happened. Yeah, Thanksgiving happened. I went home to Colorado uh, and, and came back. Not going home for Christmas. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that's basically all that I did plus school. Uh, yeah. What about you, Brad? What is everything that you did in two months other than, you know, stuff that I said that overlaps? Just hiring grad school stuff. Um, there was never... When we started the podcast, we had a regular time every week. And there was no way you could sustain that. We started over the summer. Yeah. Um, just because there was always three layers of things we needed to have worked on or spent time on besides this. It was not a priority. But um, now that winter break is upon us, we have the aims to like create an episode backlog. Yeah. Work, work on a bunch of countries in one week or on a couple days in a row where we can just like stagger them out when we release them so you don't have to like keep our dedicated listeners waiting yeah i think i'm gonna like when we have our backlog and then afterwards i'm just gonna like make some outlines or something so when we do have to record when it's busy it's not like i have to do research it's like we yep. just have to find a time to record um, because we are committed to our listeners yeah because for, for every like, hour we spend talking about a country collectively we spend three hours outside of it preparing for it yeah all yeah. right <laughs> hey uh, i think like we could wrap it up yeah. There. Kiki, what have you read in the past month and a half? Okay, I've got to bring out my list of books. Right now, I'm reading a romance novel called um, Outback Station. It's set in Australia. All right, well, you pull that up. I'll do my... my no, I'm, so, no, I'm just talking, talking verbally about what I, I just started Oh, that was a reading. segue. I thought you were just like, It was a segue. I didn't, I so I have Stalin. switched from the OverDrive app to the Libby app. You didn't tell me that. <gasps> I know. Well, like it's it's the same thing. Basically, Libby's just easier to use. So I read. I'm reading right now. Also, in addition to the romance novel, uh, Notes on a Foreign Country: An American Abroad in a Post-American World by Susie Hansen. It was a Pulitzer Prize nonfiction runner-up, and it's basically this woman's like she's detailing how when she was living abroad in Turkey, like her disillusionment with um, how the world sees America, because America definitely sees itself as like a hero, and it's not true in most other parts of the world she still thought america was a hero yeah so like she was like in turkey it was like right after 9 11 okay so this was in the past this was yeah. not like today because today yeah. it's like who are you yeah it, i don't it's not that i think i'm not sure when she came back maybe i'll find that out later um but yeah definitely a very interesting read i talked to Cher about it because i was like hey Cher, this seems like something you'd like he's like bitch i read that a thousand years ago um, she's a thousand Cher, years old. Yeah, Cher is like the rudest guy in the world. You guys may remember from our episode with him. He's like a thousand years old. He's an ancient Tajik uh, deity. Um, yeah. Yep, that's him. <laughs> All right, I also read the little book of Luga, which you may remember over the summer when I read the book on Huga. Um, Luga is the Danish word for happiness. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same author. And he's basically like, this is what uh, Danish people do to be happy that you could maybe do in your own life. And I was like, sure, bud. And I read The Romanovs. I think I was just starting that when we last recorded, but that's about the Romanov dynasty, beginning with Peter the Great and ending with the assassination of Tsar Nicholas II and his entire family. Yep. Um, Was a hard read. Yeah. I read Better Than Before. It was a self-help book. Don't want to get into it. I read Why Nations Fail, Dark Money. 
You Can't Spell America Without Me. Didn't like it. It was a parody book by Alec Baldwin and a ghostwriter about Donald Trump. And I could only get through, like, the first couple chapters. I'm like, I can finish this or I can... All those, like, mass-produced, quickly-created ghostwriter books. Like, like there were so many at the beginning of Trump's, like, like someone leaves. Here's my tell-all ghostwritten book. They're usually yeah. just crap. It's, like, yeah. I didn't, I didn't like it too much. I read The Last Black Unicorn, Tiffany Haddish's autobiography. Very funny. Very sad. Definitely recommend it for some laughs and some good empathy moments. I read The Reality-Based Rules of the Workplace, but that was for a class, so I don't think it counts. It counts. Yeah, we'll say it counts. Um, I read How Bernie Won. I think that's about where I left off on my books. Mm-hmm. Just going to double-check to make sure on my other app, what I, have I missed anything? I read Unbelievable, the Katie Tour story. She's a New York Times journalist, I think, or CNN. She was a journalist who was had like a front seat to Donald Trump's entire campaign and victory, and she got personally harassed you by him. You mentioned this one, yeah, I okay. remember. Yeah. So that's all the books I've been reading. What about you? That's a lot of books. Um, it's been a long time. I've been watching a lot of stuff recently. My new thing is to get home from work and put on an episode of Blue Planet 2. And drink a brew with the blue. That's, that's and, very um, good. That's good branding. Because either it's really engrossing and awesome and I love nature docs, or I, like, I'm really sleepy and David Attenborough lulls me to sleep on my comfy couch. You do um, that. So it's a win-win. I watched that. I gave a bunch of shows a shot, like the Romanovs and that Sabrina show on Netflix. I couldn't. I'm um, a big fan of the original Sabrina. Yeah. Um, gave some things a shot. didn't pan out. I watched a great anime movie, Your Name. It's like one of the most popular anime movies in Japan, like a year ago. Um, oh, I don't... It's um, the director. I can't remember his name exactly. He um, one of the true figures to come out to like challenge Hayao Miyazaki is like a cultural touchstone oh, cool. of like anime directing. It's a great, great film. I'm gonna watch more of his movies. Um, really, really good. Highly recommended. It. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, yeah, I haven't been watching much new. I have been rewatching Mad Men. Mm-hmm. I found another blog that offers another perspective. Another one. So <laughs> there's dozens of us. So it's like it's like the most literary show, and like it just like if you can keep watching and peeling back the layers, that's what I really like in a show. It's something you can watch forever and just keep learning more about it. Yep. Same thing with like Breaking Bad. <clears throat> like there's just like some truly wonderful, great shows, and that's like we talked about this with like The Office. Like The Office is a funny show, but it's not interesting to like The Office because it's so surface. I'm not going to get on my office soapbox, but I detest the fact that The Office has this hold on, like, I'll just come home and put on The Office. It's my 18th rewatch. Like, you're the end of culture. You're a stagnated human. You're the worst person who ever existed. You know, like, sorry. It's okay. Um, but it just like it's just not interesting to me to like something like that. I mean, you can like it, and it's great, but it doesn't make you an interesting person. It's not a replacement for a personality. Whereas I've replaced my entire personality with Mad Men several times over, <laughs> and I still think I'm great. <laughs> um, so I've been redoing that. I feel like I've been watching other things. Oh, 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> I can't stop watching 90 Day Fiance. You're the worst. Um, Hannah and I have been watching Before the 90 Days, and it's just cringe TV. Uh, uh, and I gotta stop I gotta knock it off and I started watching America's Next Top Model mm-hmm. I got really into reality TV because I'm like it doesn't have to mean anything I can keep this on when I'm studying and it doesn't um, it, it truly doesn't it doesn't enrich my life it doesn't make anything better but sometimes I feel like you need that in a TV show I've been enjoying lately the um, the fruits of an Oscar season is that there's good movies to go out and see but also that 
Oscar contenders from last year are now available to watch. So like, nice. I finally watched like Shape of Water, which was good, but I don't see how it won Best Picture last year. I have an um, HBO Go login if you need it. That's I, I, how I watched it. Okay. I have my own. Excellent. I'm Excellent. in the go. Um, yeah, I mean, like, so watching old films from last year kind of... I mean, they're already kind of coded by the fact that I know they were acclaimed, so I'm kind of going in with expectations. Yeah. Wasn't blown away by it. Um, I've, I'm so bad about watching new things. Maybe that'll be my New Year's resolution. Anyway, should we wrap this up? Let's wrap it up. All right, we do have a new review. Read it, and I'll pull up what country's going to be next. Um, you're going to pull that up while I read this review. Yeah. So this comes from uh, another podcaster who reached out to me on our Twitter. Um, it's the New Age Influencers Podcast, uh, and he wrote a great concept. As someone who is traveling soon, this is an awesome podcast. Find loving it. Uh, their name is Aaron B. Patton. Um, I did find his personal Instagram because he invited me to follow it. Have not received a follow back. Wait, how many stars does he give us? He gave us five stars. Oh, who's a hottie. Okay, okay, so he's definitely a hottie. Yeah, good. Um, and I, 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 looking at his Instagram, <laughs> I'm a, I was kind of hoping for a follow back, uh, Aaron, but if you you don't he, feel like He said he was traveling, though. He, yeah, I mean, everybody has a phone, though. I'm just saying. <laughs> But if so, we invite you guys to listen to the New Age Influencers podcast. You can find that on the Apple Store. We'll tweet out a link to um, for a nice little uh, podcast to podcast uh, promotions. Yeah, let's get a network going. Uh, and other things, yeah. Please follow our Twitter at the World Podcast. Uh, follow our Facebook page, the World as We Know It podcast. On the Facebook page, you can get uh, information about new episodes, links, and stuff. And then you can leave us a review. We'll tell you how hot we think you are um, in the most honest and impartial way. And we used a regression discontinuity design methodology to correlate the fact that high star ratings do correlate with hotness. Yeah, that's a good um, one. Correlation does not equal causation, though. But it is and internally valid. So. Yeah, but we could not control for bias. Of course I'm biased. You like my podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These are some excellent stats jokes. These are great. Um, all um, right. So I guess that's that's our wrap-up. That's the things that we say. What's your post-familiarity rating, though? Post-familiarity rating? Ooh, buttery. Um, we kind of forgot to do that for the past um, several times. Because I think the Czech Republic has a history with all these different combinations of like kingdoms and ethnicities and... Now, nowadays, it's a smaller unit, whereas the history is about the entire surrounding region. I feel like my FR rating is boosted because of that. Yeah. Because of the complexity of the history. So I'm going to go from a 2 to a 4. I haven't been there, but also think the cultural relevancy of, like, Prague and Central Europe is on the rise. So 4 with, like, a feeling I could visit it and get above 5. Yeah. I would say my Czech Republic history stays at a 4. But my bohemian history wah, wah. goes from a two to like an eight. Dude, that's totes boho. It's totes. Behemes. Because <laughs> um, I feel like that was the most of focus on episode one was just the Moravian and Bohemian empires oh, yeah. and, and those people. And Slog. It, but it's so effing dense, you guys. Like, I didn't, I still feel like I did it justice, but. It's like regnal name porn. That's <laughs> all it right? is. All right. I guess that's the end. You'll catch us next week for our episode next on country. New, New Zealand. Zealand. It'll be a good one, especially following that Lord of the Rings marathon. Hell yeah. And we'll have to talk about the effect of Lord of the Rings and the economy. Oh yeah, we sure effing are. 
And our favorite guy, Peter Jackson. All right. I, so until then. Oh, wait. Oh. And also, if we don't hear you, a Merry Christmas to you. Happy Thanksgiving in the past. And we'll say that in the next couple of those yeah. years. But until Happy then. Holidays. Ahoy! Ahoy!